morning. Today's scripture reading is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, the fourth chapter, the fourth to the seventh verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, and the peace of God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Rejoice. Two, four things I want to say, and you can follow along with the outline if you want, fill in the blanks, it doesn't matter to, to me, but at least that's there if, you, if that helps you. First thing I want to say about joy is that joy creates, given the fact there's so much rage, so much fear in our culture, I'm going to say that joy creates a life that demands an explanation. When someone encounters someone who has a sense of joy, they're going to draw a couple of conclusions. Either they're out of touch with reality or that, that person needs to d- explain how it is that they can um, ha- have a sense of joy in their life. Joy creates a life and a lifestyle that demands an explanation. And the reason I say that is the context of where this comes from. Paul wrote this letter, Philippians, a couple thousand years ago, maybe right about the year 60 to 65 A.D., I mean, that's a pretty good target of when he wrote this. We also know that he wrote this when he's in prison. He's in prison in Rome on a capital trial. You know what happens at a capital trial. Someone's likely going to lose their life if it comes in guilty against them. He's in, he's in a capital trial because in a Roman Empire, he refuses not to talk about Jesus. It's in a cultural context, political context, where it made no sense to the Romans to be talking about Jesus because there is a religion, a group of people, Christians, who, who are insisting that the emperor sitting on the throne in Rome is a fraudulent king. He's not the real king. The real king is Jesus, and Paul was talking about that king, and it made, and it made the Romans angry, and they said, don't ever say that again. That's treason. And Paul kept talking about Jesus. And they put him in prison. And he's going, to be, um, he's going to get a chance to recant. And you know where it's going to go. He's not going to recant. In fact, we, we know he's in prison because if you turn in Philippians chapter 1, verse 14, he says, just really clearly, I'm in chains. And he says, I'm in chains in the, in the, in the, in the palace prison. He's in prison. Now, it's an um, interesting moment, right, when you are in the middle of your situation and you're feeling emotion, and you're feeling whatever it is, anger, fear, satisfaction, joy, contentment, whatever those, those emotions are, it's interesting to ask yourself, so if things aren't going so great for you, can you be pulling for someone for whom it's going really well? Can you be full of joy for another person even when in your context, things are not so great. I, I, I just have to, confession's good for the soul, right? So, so I have to confess a Starbucks moment for me from yesterday. It was raining, did, did it rain crazy down here yesterday? This, in the 10 years I've lived in Auburn, I've never had a, we've never had a bigger rainstorm up there. It was huge. It, just, it was just raining like crazy. And it was a perfect moment for a cup of coffee, only we'd run out of coffee in our house. So I had a coffee cart, so I told my wife, I said, I'll, I'll run over to Starbucks, not very far away, and I'll get, get 
my Pike Place black coffee and I'll get her cinnamon dulce latte and I'll be back in a couple minutes and it's just real close. So I get in there and apparently everyone in Auburn decided to do the same thing. And so I'm in this long line and they're overwhelmed. There's, you know, there's not enough people working and, and, and so on. And so it's cool with it. I mean, just made, finally, finally got to the counter and made my order. And, you know, I got ordered exactly what I said. So, you know, I immediately got my coffee and I'm drinking it, but I'm waiting for the cinnamon dulce latte to get made because it's a specialty drink. And, uh, you know, there's this long line and I'm kind of just standing there. I'm, I'm looking at some news. I'm texting one of my kids and so on. And, but I'm kind of watching who's getting their drinks. And I kind of know when, you ever do that? Like you kind of know when you're going to come up in the line? They're about ready to say, cinnamon dulce latte for Gene. And I'm getting ready for that to get home. And then all of a sudden I know they recognize they call the names of some people who put in their order after me. Going, what? And I go, okay, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm cool. I'm, <laughs> I'm good for one of these. And then they did it to another person. And then a third person. And I'm sitting there and I'm starting to do a slow burn. Like, like, like any of you? Like, okay, so I'm not the only sinner in the room. Okay, I got, I got, I'm not the only one. But, but I was sitting there going, like, I, I almost walked up and said, did you not get my order? But I, I had my, I knew they, I, I knew they had it. I saw them put my name on a cup and slide it into line. And so then I thought, oh, no, they got my order. So, so I'm, I'm watching, and like another person, I'm going like, what's so complicated? Like, my spirit is really bitter by now. <laughs> like, I, I'm starting to get, I'm starting, where's, where's that rage balloon? I, I'm starting to get a little bit of anger inside. I'm going like, this is bad customer service. Like, I'm, I better tell them what I think. I better go wreck someone's day and tell that person serving me, what a bad job they're doing, right? I mean, all of that's going through my head. And I had just read that morning, earlier, just kind of my own little personal quiet time. Isn't that great? I'm all full of anger, but I just had a little quiet time, you know, like, I, something's not connecting. But I just read these statements by Dallas Willard. I don't know if any of you know the name of Dallas Willard, but man, he writes some really insightful stuff about the human soul. And one of the things he was writing about was, could you, he wasn't talking about a Starbucks line, but it's so easy, easy to, to put that scenario. He basically said, when you're standing in a Starbucks line and the people behind you are getting their coffee first, can you be happy for them? Could you be saying, man, that is so great you're getting your coffee? Can you be full of joy for them? I mean, come on. Like, I was really being ordinary. The way I was reacting demands no explanation because that's how everyone reacts, right? That's the normal thing. I'm not getting mine, so I'm going to tell you about it. Even if you are getting yours and you're really happy about it, I'm going to rain on your parade. I'm going to make your day better. That's the normal way to respond. Paul makes no sense. I'm in a bad situation. This isn't looking good for me. I'm in prison, and I'm telling you, you should be full of joy. What? Like, how does that make sense? That's the first thing you need to make sure you see. Second thing is this. Joy, apparently then, if, if what I just said is true, and I think it does, then joy has nothing, 
Just underscore, joy has nothing to do with your circumstances. Joy is different. It is not connected to your circumstances. Even when you're not getting your Starbucks coffee, joy has nothing to do with your circumstances. Here's what it says in Philippians chapter four. Rejoice in the Lord, sometimes? Now rejoice in the Lord when you're getting your Starbucks coffee? Now rejoice in the Lord when everything's going great for you? No, 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 it says rejoice in the Lord always. Just skip forward just a couple of verses, chapter 12, or sorry, chapter 4, verse 12. Paul says this I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content, joyful, satisfied. I've learned that secret in any and all circumstances. You know what any and all circumstances means in Greek? Any and all circumstances. That's exactly what it means in Greek. You don't need to qualify it. You don't need to explain it away. You don't need more Bible study to get what he's saying in any situation. It's a really great study I just saw. Uh, kind of a, from a psychological standpoint. And they were, they, they were studying, so what are the 10 jobs in America that make people the happiest? And what are the 10 jobs that make people the least happy. The jobs that make people the most happy and the jobs that make the people the least happy. The, t- the 10 jobs in each category. So they identified that, they did a number of studies to, to figure out what are those 10 jobs that make people the most happy, and then those 10 jobs that make people the least happy. And then they started doing, breaking it down, diving a little deeper and doing some study. You know what they found? They found that the least happy jobs are the jobs that are more lucrative and give people more status, and the happiest jobs, people that make people the most happy, you get less money for them and you get less status, but get this, you get more joy. Joy has nothing to do with your circumstances. You, you guys are aware of, like, I, I follow baseball way too much. And, um, and, and you're, if, if you follow any kind of sports, whether it's Sacramento Kings, King fans here? Now you're, wor- you're working at some joy to be saying that. I'm just saying you're, you're work- working overtime to have joy there. <laughs> but, but you're really aware that in the sports world, you know, people get these crazy salaries, right? Like mega salaries. And what's the, uh, I'm being a little judgmental here, but you often hear this enough that you go, ah, there's some truth in this. Like the overarching thing sometimes behind people that get these huge salaries, beyond just simply, well, good for me, but it's, you know what, I just wanted to make $1 more than someone else. It's, it, until I get $1 more than someone else, I'm not gonna be happy. Like, uh, this study makes sense. Our circumstances don't bring us joy. If you and I are thinking, well, I'll be full of joy, or I'll have joy when, or I'll be full of joy if, you know, how would you feel that? I'll, I'll be full of joy when I get that job. I'll be full of joy when I get that raise. I'll be full of joy when I can get in that relationship with that person I trust. I can be full of joy if I can get my kids into a private school, if I can get my kids in, you know, whatever it is. I just want to say it like this. If your idea about joy is, I'll be full of joy when, or I'll be full of joy if, you're never gonna ever, ever, ever experience joy. It's always gonna be waiting for you as opposed to being in here. You don't have a chance of having joy if your way of talking about it is when I get or if I get, then I'll have some joy. 
Joy has nothing to do with your circumstances. So given all of that, let's talk about the Christmas side of this thing. So third thing I just wanna fill in a blank. Third, third thing I wanna say this morning, the source of joy is deliverance. A sense that you and I have on our side a God who is willing to deliver us and save us from any and all circumstances. Here's what it says in Luke chapter two, verse 10 and 11. I bring you good news of what? Great joy. How come? Today, a Savior has been born to you. Deliverance is the source of joy. I bring you good news of great joy because today, a Savior has been born to you. How does this connect with Paul in prison in Rome 30 or 60 years, 60 years after the birth of Jesus? Well, never forget that Paul's a really good Jew. He's a Christian, but he was schooled in Jewish faith. He was schooled in, in this Old Testament scriptures. I mean, he had an Ivy League education for his time. He was well-educated. He knew the scriptures. And what does he know about God based on the scriptures that he knew? He knows Exodus chapter 5, verse 22, to Exodus chapter 6, verse 8. And I want to read these words to you. Like, I think these words are not just a little um, moment in Scripture. I think this is like the table of contents of the whole Bible. And these words that, that happen when Jesus is born, I bring you good news of great joy because today a Savior has been born to you. They are anchored back here in Exodus. I want to read this moment to you. You might find yourselves here. So Exodus chapter 5, verse 22. Moses in, ch in chapter three of Exodus was sent by God, you know, at the burning bush moment, sent by God down to Egypt. And he goes down and he starts doing his Moses thing and it doesn't go well for him. Everyone gets angry at him. Everyone says, Moses, leave us alone. You're making things worse for us. Get out of town. And he gets a chance to come in front of God and he's not full of joy. He is full of some anger and some complaints. He's got two questions and he's got a, a major complaint. Moses returns to the Lord, verse, chapter 5, verse 22, and he says to the Lord, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon these people, the, the Israelite people, and why did you send me to them? So he's asking these two, like, nothing's going on here, God. Like, this has gotten worse. Worse for me, worse for them. And then he says in verse 23, here's the complaint. Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought more trouble upon the people, and you have done nothing. He's got a big complaint to God. He's standing in a Starbucks line and he wants an answer. He, he is angry about it. And so ver, chapter six, verse one, the Lord says to Moses, I just wanted to make sure you see this because I think this is a table of contents for the whole Bible. Now you are going to see what I do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he is gonna beg them to get out of his country. And God also says to Moses, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but they didn't know my name. I didn't give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob my name. I am giving you my, the first person on the face of the earth to know God's personal name is Moses, Yahweh. What, um, says, I, um, I did not make myself known to them as Yahweh. I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they had lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Now here's where it gets super good. 
verse 6. Therefore, say, go back. You know, I, I hear you, Moses, and I'm trumping you. Go back to the Israelite people. Stay engaged. Don't leave. Go back and say to them, I am Yahweh, and he's going to define what Yahweh means. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgments. What does the name Yahweh mean? God defines it in verse 6. means I am what? I am that I am, and what is it that he's doing when he says, I am doing something? What is it he's doing? Yahweh does mean I am, but it, he's, he's adding content to that I am doing what? I am saving you. I am the God who saves. I am the God who delivers. I am the God who takes people in slavery and gets them out of slavery. And I'll do it with, with miraculous ways, I'll do it with little ways, but I never forget this, Israel. I am the God who saves. No, but he just doesn't save. He does something more. Um, chapter 7, I will take you as my people, and I'll be your God. He's going to form community. He's going to form godly community between God and his people. And then he says, I will, um, um, and you will know that I am the Lord your God. Like experientially, intimacy. You are going to have a personal relationship with no longer just this theory about a God out there. Now you are going to know me. I'm the God who saves. I'm going to create community with you, and you are going to know me, and then I'm going to bring you into the land, promised land. Blessing. I'm going to bless you. That's salvation. That's what God's doing. That's what he did in the Old Testament. They didn't get it, but that's what he was doing. That's what he's doing in Jesus. That's the foundation when the angel says, I am bringing you good news of great joy. Today, a Savior has been born. Let's get the symmetry here. Israelite people were in Egypt for 400 years. How many generations is that? I mean, we're talking how many great, 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 great grandchildren? I mean, we're talking a lot over 400 years. They have forgotten that there's a God who saves. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. It's 400 years from Malachi to Jesus. 400 years of generations. They have forgotten that there's a God on their side. Angel appears. It's almost identical to what happens with Moses. I'm bringing you good news and great joy. I want you to know you've got a Savior. You have a God who saves you. You have a God who's going to form communities. Jesus comes. He invites 12 apostles. Come be with me. He invites them into intimacy. I just want you to be with me. You don't have to do anything. Just be with me. We'll, we'll talk, and I'll get you connected with God through the Holy Spirit. Just be with the intimacy. And then I'm going to give you blessing. But how does Jesus promise blessing? Give you life and life abundantly. That's where joy comes from. It's by God intervening. It isn't you and me doing a little Yoda mind twist, you know, like, oh, I feel like this, but okay, I'm going to just twist my mind and make myself think like that. That's me doing it. No, this is God from outside coming in to save and rescue and deliver. Deliverance is the source of joy. Last thing I want to say in closing. If deliverance is the source of joy, then it's possible, last thing, joy can grow. You're sitting here going, man, I don't have much joy right now. I've got a lot of anger. I've got a lot of fear. I've got a lot of uncertainty and anxiety. Here's the, here's the potential. Here's the possibility. Here's, here's the great news. Joy can grow in your spirit. Otherwise, Paul wasted words to write Philippians chapter 4. 
When he said rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. He's writing it to people who maybe aren't experiencing it, but I'm not wasting my words because you can become a man or a woman who experiences joy and lives joy in your life in spite of the circumstances in your life. You can learn how to live a life that demands an explanation, and the explanation isn't how wealthy you are, it isn't what kind of a great job you have, it isn't what neighborhood you live in, it's not where your life's going, it's who's in you. That's the, that's the source of joy. That's the explanation that gets demanded from others. How do you have that in your life? Well, joy can grow. And if you don't believe me, just check out this last picture. You guys all know this story. Picture the Grinch. You got that picture? So what was the problem with this guy? Remember, I mean, he's, he's angry about all the noise down in that little town. What, what's the town? Um, Whoville. He's angry about the town in Whoville. All the noise and commotion. That's not really it, just the noise. What's he really angry about? I mean, what's really going on in Grinch? What are we told? He's got a small heart. His heart is too small. But he has a moment. He has a transformative moment. And what does it say it happened to him on that one day? His heart grew how many times? Three times. His heart grew full of joy. Joy can grow in your life, friends. It's not based upon anything else. It's not based upon where you worship as a church, even though I totally get having your, a, a space of your own would be awesome, joining with, joining with you in prayer. But even if that doesn't happen, that's not related to your joy as a church. Amen. It'd be awesome if this gym was packed to people hanging off the ribs. But even if that never happens, that's not connected to the joy that you have in the Lord. Joy is a different thing. Uh, Mark and I often talk about this. I should just be shut up and never say this except to Mark, but I'll say it. And then you, you, he can yell at me later. Um, we both are aware of um, just, I mean, one of the reasons we connect so easily. We, we share a lot of values and obviously and see things a, a lot the same way. And one of the things that's just driven us nuts, driven Lori and me nuts, we, we've pastored in some pretty large churches, and um, I, I pastored up in Canada, and it was the seventh largest church in Canada. And there was, when I was an immature person, I was really thrilled about that, that I must be something. This is worse than a Starbucks moment, I mean, you know. <laughs> but it started to dawn on me um, how sad this is. I'd go to the board meetings, elder meetings or deacon meetings, the leader, leadership team meetings, and they'd look at me and say, so pastor, when are you going to make us the sixth largest church in Canada? There's something wrong with that. That is twisted and sad. That, that's, that's with people who are under the umbrella of the church having hearts that are too small and not being able to see what God's really up to and doing. What God's really up to and doing is filling human hearts with his presence, wanting to offer rescue and salvation and redemption, wanting to put them in, not necessarily in different circumstances, but in the midst of those circumstances, wanting to bless you, wanting to give you his favor, wanting it to be all over you and all in you, and spilling out in the kind of way that when people run into you, they go, what in the world is going on with you? How can you feel that way? And it gives you a chance to bring glory to God. It gives you a chance to make Jesus more famous. That's what this joy is all about. I pray for your church and I pray for you that your hearts are not too small. 
But if they are, I pray that God enter in during Christmas and he grows your heart three times so that at the end of the day, you're not the, the sad Grinch. You're the Grinch who's been changed and transformed because it wasn't that you got smarter, it's that God got bigger. I pray for that revelation in your life.